I hope you're doing okay this week in light of current circumstances. It's a difficult time for us all, given that the business that you and I are in requires us to be in front of people in the same room as people, or at the very least interacting with the people who manage the people we train, the people we coach. And I'm certain you got some value from last week's episode, because in that episode, episode 78, we talked about 10 things that you can do in your business, your training business, your coaching business right now, if it's in any way affected by current circumstances, by the spread of the virus and the effect it's having on the global economy. Now, I think we have to be optimists at the same time and realize that although this process or situation could last for another couple of months. There's no firm projection right now. There are different opinions or sources of opinion on this. This is still no excuse to sit on your tod, count your toes, feel sorry for yourself, and look at the sky. I'm not saying you're doing that, but I think many people are understandably really disappointed by how things are turning out right now. All kinds of businesses are being affected. We're restricted as to where we can travel, the kinds of activities we undertake normally as trainers and coaches. Those have been curtailed as well. But if we look at this positively, this situation right now is in many respects not downtime. It's valuable time. It's a learning time. It's time to prepare for the recovery and the recovery will come. It always comes. Of course, it helps when we've got money coming in. It helps when we've got training contracts coming in. It doesn't help when we've no money coming in or money we expect to come in doesn't come in. And today I'm going to share with you some lessons I learned recently when a quite a large proposal, given my business, was to come in. I put it together with a colleague, but it failed to materialize. Harsh lessons indeed, but a chance to get things right next time. This is episode 79 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. This is the Training Business Podcast, and it's the show or the podcast for training people, for people who are freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants, coaches just like you and I. And the goal of this show, this episode, and every episode past and present and future of the podcast is to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. There's an episode every single Thursday. We'd love you to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, as well as a range of other podcast platforms out there. Podcasting right now is very hot, so you will find episodes of the show more than likely on your favorite podcasting platform. Now, recently, a colleague of mine was approached by a company, and this company had an immediate need to deliver sales training to, to use their exact words, generate a short-term uplift in sales results just before year-end. Exactly what they said. So I'll not mention who that company is, but they're a tech company based in a European country, and they have a team of approximately 130 people across eight international locations. So this recommendation came through a fourth party to a third party to a colleague and then to me. Not exactly direct, which is not the way I like to do things. But anyway, we'll come to that lesson shortly. So they had been given training, this prospect, by some pretty reputable training providers 
across the world, people with, you know, companies with really good names in the sales training industry. But according to the prospect, that training had not been successful. So that should have been my first warning. This is a, a company that had training delivered to them by some very good training providers, but they were never happy with that training. That should have been my first warning. But sometimes people ignore warnings, and I think I did in this occasion or on this occasion, but never mind. Let's do this. Let's first of all give you an overview of what I think we did well and then what I think we did not do so well. And then we'll look at seven lessons that we can take away from today's learning. Let's call it that. So first of all, what did we do well? Well, I think we made a decision quickly and we responded to the prospect quickly. We created a one-page proposal document rather than wasting time with a 12- or 13-page contract, which is what I think many people do. They get stuck into the nitty-gritty and, you know, spend a night burning the midnight oil, putting together this huge document, which people do not always read because very often people see things on screens and they scan they don't read. So to my mind, that was the right thing to do. Put together a one-page proposal, see what the reaction was to that, and if necessary, expand upon that in a second version of the proposal. So the goal here is to close the sale and then to negotiate the small stuff, which is one of the, the things that I've been reminded of recently, which is the importance of just getting something in front of a prospect quickly rather than wasting your own time and their time, you know, going away, creating this huge document which may or may not actually contribute to the next step in the process, which of course is some kind of negotiation. So something we did well additionally was to offer to prove our credibility early on by talking to their team leads. And that of, co of course helped to get them on our side. So this works very well if you can actually take some small step to prove that you know what you're talking about. So to my mind, I've done this before, it's to say, okay, just to show that we're not just another bid in the mix, why don't we do this? We're willing to have an hour's, hour's conversation with you or give you some proof or do something to show that actually this is something we can do. And this worked very well because the feedback from the team leads we spoke to in several countries was very positive. Why is this useful? It's akin to creating champions inside a prospect organization. So if someone is prevaricating about, you know, giving you the business, you can say, well, actually, I've spoken to this person and this person, and they liked what we said, or we helped them to do this. They're kind of, you know, early results. And just think what it's like if we could do this throughout the organization. So I found that to be very rewarding knowing that I could prove that that I could make a difference and my colleague could make a difference having those conversations. So we used a software called Loom, L-O-O-M, to walk the people uh, through the training proposal that we did, one training page proposal. Once we realized that we had no access to the final decision maker, we felt that was the only thing to do. Sometimes people will not answer your calls or they'll not schedule a face-to-face -face meeting. So I think Loom is quite useful in the sense that they get to see me and my colleague and I can talk them through through it uh, as near to real time as possible. The next thing we did, I think, pretty well was we asked lots of detailed questions, not just, you know, how much can we get from this? When will it start? But we really asked questions and often by the kinds of questions you're asking, you're showing people that you know what you're talking about, you know, looking for problems in the right areas, describing them quantifying them, the effect of those problems on the prospect's business. So by asking great questions, when you get the chance to ask the questions, we're actually giving the prospect 
reason to believe that we know what we're talking about. So we ensured we gave the prospect exactly what they were asking for and a little bit more. And this is called minimum credible justification. Just enough information, just enough giving to help them to see us in a positive light and to say yes. I don't want to ever be one of those training business owners that just does the same thing as everyone else. I think it's always impossible, or rather necessary, I should say, to give people more than they're asking for. Not too much, not too much, but a little bit more. Because one, it establishes your credibility. You can prove you know what you're talking about by having some kind of premature value giving it to them and to their inner champions or creating inner champions by creating value before the training contract goes ahead. Not too much, but just a little to help people see us differently. And secondly, of course, it creates separation because it separates us from other people who may not be willing to or able to do something like that. So that's what I think we did well. Now, let's look at what we did not do so well. We gave into the temptation to send in a proposal without having spoken to the ultimate person who would make a decision on the proposal. Now, I didn't know there would be two other layers of decision makers in this training contract or this training request for proposal, and that was my mistake. And by giving a proposal to someone who wasn't actually going to be the person making the decision, that was a huge mistake. And the result of that was that we ceded control. And having ceded control, we then had to spend a week chasing this person to take back control. So as a vendor, as a training provider, you should always be in control. Something incredibly important, which is the thing we did not do, was to recognize that we had no direct line of access to the person ultimately making the decision. So that's the number one takeaway for me, was the fact that knowing better, I still ceded control in my anxiousness or willingness to do what it took to get this business uh, on board, to, to cross the line with the business. So they're just a couple of reflections. So I thought about this this week and last week, and I thought this would be a great episode. Why not come up with a number of lessons that if I were coaching myself to do this differently and better next time, and I was looking in the mirror, I thought I could share these with you too, which is the whole idea of today's podcast episode. So I've come up with seven lessons, which I think are quite valuable. And as usual, I'd love to hear your feedback on these. Here they are. Number one, stick to your product. Number two, stick to your sales process. Number three, go straight to the decision maker. Number four, ask direct questions. Number five, get micro commitments. Number six, stay in control. And number seven, don't beat yourself up. Okay? So from the top, number one, stick to your product. This proposal, which I've talked to you about, was for a client which I know, I know we could have delivered to. No problem. Initially, we understood we were being asked to deliver sales training and follow-up coaching. However, the next level decision maker also wanted us to achieve short-term results not focused on behavior. She said specifically, what I want here is training to get short-term results. I'm not worried about behavior. That will come later. Now, that should have been a huge warning light on front of my eyes because to my mind, good training is always 
focused on behavioral change. That's the whole idea of training. So this is why I stand over the training and coaching which I deliver. I'm not just selling some kind of short-term uplift. I'm selling the benefits of mid to long-term behavioral change. And the more I thought about this later on, the more I realized that I was being asked to do something in contravention of what I usually promise my clients. I know what my product is designed to do. I know what it can do. I know what it's not designed to do. So is that true for you? Can you arguably say, or could you confidently say, I know exactly who needs my product, what it does, and what results people will get when they follow my product. The lesson here is to stick to exactly what your product is designed to do because that's what you're selling. And that's what I, I broke my own rule here. If your buyer does not see the value of your product as it is right now, it's going to be very difficult to sell it to them. So the rule here is stick to your product, whatever that product is. You might have a different product in a range of areas, but in my instance, I can say I did not do that. I was willing to change the product. And in doing so, I couldn't stand over the results. Okay, lesson number two today is to stick to your sales process. Against my better judgment, I sent a proposal to the person whom I had not yet spoke to. I knew or I found out after a second conversation that the person I'd been speaking to in the first conversation was not the ultimate decision maker. And that was a surprise. I should have asked better questions around that. And then I tried to connect with the person on LinkedIn whom I found out was the person who would be making the decision. And therefore, I could establish a dialogue and get past the gatekeeper or get round the gatekeeper or cooperate with the gatekeeper to get some kind of introduction to that person. But the person in question did not respond or accept my LinkedIn request. And that's always a bad sign. Normally, I will only deal with a decision maker when it comes to sending a proposal. This is the only person who should actually get to see your proposal or my proposal. I have a clear process, a clear sales process, which I should stick to because this is the process, the sales process that I know is in the best interests of my client. The trouble is with someone, when someone, you know, waves $129,000 in front of your face and tells you that everyone else has let them down and they really need you to help them and you came to them recommended, it's very tempting then to play by their rules just to get the money. And I'm guilty of this in the last couple of weeks. The reason that you and I have or should have a sales process is because we need this to give us confidence in how we sell. If we chop and change our sales processes to suit everyone who comes along and people who knock on our door for any reason, then we're actually making a lot of work for ourselves and our colleagues in the company, and we're decreasing the chances of success. So that's my second reminder to myself for next time. Always stick to my sales process. Always stick to your sales process, whatever that is. Number three today, I alluded to this a few minutes ago. The person who has the power to say yes is the person you should speak to. The person who has the power to make a bad decision is also the person you need to speak to. Whether it's in your favor or not in your favor, that's the person we need to speak to. The person who decides that you have been given the job is the person you must speak to. Everyone else is an intermediary or a gatekeeper or a blocker or some kind of screener. When you don't speak to the person who has the power to say yes or no, you can't really say that you understand what they're thinking, what they're looking for. 
what they want to achieve, what they need, what they're willing to pay you for. Can you? There's an activity I've run in training sessions over the uh, couple of years, and it's something I learned a number of years ago, and I've used it quite a few times to highlight to people the fact that messages get garbled the more people involved. So in this exercise, I get everyone in the room to stand in a line. I tell the very first person back here what I want them to do or say, and they can only tell the person directly in front of them what I want them to do or say, and so on and so on. And a couple of minutes later, the last person in the line has to turn around and show everyone else exactly what they were asked to to say or do. And it's remarkable how, again, people seem to confuse a message when they have to explain it to other people, and so on and so on. The, The lesson here is this, that If you have multiple people involved between you and the person ultimately making a decision in your favor or not in your favor, the chances are there's going to be some interpretation or confusion or misinterpretation along the way. I would rather speak to one person and realize that it's not a good fit than waste time speaking to three different people only to find out what I should have done or didn't do when I get to the last person. So the lesson here is always go straight to the decision maker or walk away. And I will do that next time. The next one today is to ask direct questions. So let's say you do get through to a decision maker. What do you say? Well, you don't say anything apart from thanks for this opportunity. Instead, you ask. You get straight down to asking great questions, the kinds of questions that don't just you know, look for information, but the way you ask them and the depth and insights of your questions help the prospect to realize, hey, they're great questions. This person really understands my my problems, my world, what I'm looking to do. So questions are not just your opportunity to gather information. They're also opportunities to create an impression So by the quality, the insight of your questions, you're convincing people, hey, I'm in the hands of a professional. This could be on a phone call or it could be via video. Asking questions by email, to my mind, really isn't good enough. I know busy people are busy for a reason, but so are you. So don't waste your time. Get down to the point and ask hard questions. Here are a couple of my questions. You know, what is the, what's the problem here? People we normally deal with at this stage have, are finding these things. Is that true for you? And here's something else I think is important. Is this something you've looked at too? What exactly are you looking to change and why? What will it take for you to give us this job? Some really hard, direct questions. What exactly are you looking for to change and why? What will it take for you to give us this job? Is this your decision? Is this a joint decision? Is this someone else's decision? When can you make this decision? What do you think of those questions? They're quite direct. And I know that many people are uncomfortable asking those kinds of direct questions. But I also know, given my previous experience, when I asked weak questions or often evaded asking or avoided asking hard questions, I realized that I was wasting time. And by not asking direct questions and getting the benefit of direct answers, you're increasing the likelihood that you will eventually get the wrong answers. So I'd rather know early on that someone is not willing to give me work than to waste time chasing them when I could have asked that question and been given a direct answer. So no waffle, no meandering, 
no misinterpretation. I did ask questions, as it happens on this occasion, but of the wrong person, and she couldn't answer those questions to my satisfaction. So the lesson here is ask direct questions early. Early, as soon as you can. I'd rather that you get a, an answer which is unfavorable than get uh, into the business of doing work and chasing people only to find out that wrong answer or bad answer subsequently, okay? Always ask direct questions early. The next one today is get micro-commitments. There's a principle in psychology called the principle of escalating commitment. And what this means is that people prefer to say yes to small requests before saying yes to bigger ones. For example, I could ask someone to agree to a Skype call or a Zoom call. If that goes well, I could ask for a face-to-face -face meeting. If that goes well, I could ask for a decision or I could ask for something else. So th those are three steps in a row rather than asking someone to give me the contract right away. So what we did this time was we actually said, give us half an hour with your team let us have a couple of conversations, and if that goes well, can we ask for this next? Does that make sense? So I'm actually asking people to take small steps and proving each time and each step that the next decision in my favor is a safe decision. And this is good news because it allows you to test whether people are really serious about giving you the work or signing a contract or doing anything you ask them to do. Knowing which micro-commitments work allows you to create a sales process which moves someone on the journey that you want them to take at the pace you want to go. So once, thinking of my example today, once the second level decision maker refused to take a small action to confirm interest, which was to introduce me to the ultimate decision maker, I should have recognized this was going to go south. This was going to go pear-shaped. This was not going to work. And this is exactly what happens when you don't get small commitments or micro-commitments in the form of small yeses early in the process. Think of your sales process. What small things could I ask people to do which build confidence, number one, and proves to them that I can deliver small things before I actually get the big thing? But secondly... Think of the kinds of micro-commitments that you could ask or get people to commit to. So if they don't commit to those things, you will take this as a sign this isn't going to work, which of course helps you to walk away knowing it's not worth investing any more time in. So the lesson here is get micro-commitments and get them early on. Number six today is to stay in control. And to some degree, this is a combination of things. Again, thinking of my example this week, against my better judgment, I sent a proposal because of a fast-approaching decision, a fast-approaching deadline for the prospect. They wanted a decision. I should have followed my process, but I broke my own rules and I yielded to their process. And basically, I sent in a proposal to someone I'd not yet met or spoken to. So I had no leverage. I had no means to contact and motivate the decision maker. Who knows where my proposal was sitting? In the gatekeeper's mailbox, in the first decision or first level decision maker's mailbox. I have no idea. Somewhere else. It's hard to say. It's tempting to jump when someone else cracks the whip just to be able to get your hands on that valuable contract. But some things really are sometimes too good to be true. But by relinquishing control, the prospect of them ever happening disappears off the horizon. Now, I should know better. 
and I do know better. And the lesson to remind myself is to always be in control. Chasing other people is a massive time suck. You've got to remember that you are the provider, you are the vendor, you are the expert, you are the person who's going to deliver value here, you are the bringer of value, people should trust you to know that you know what you're doing, and therefore being in control and staying in control of the process, your process, is the path to that solution. And again, I broke my own rules here. So the lesson today, to remind myself, is to always stay in control of the process. Finally today, big lesson to me, and I think perhaps to you as well, if you have circumstances like this, and it's this, don't beat yourself up. I always tell people in coaching, you're not going to get yeses all the time. You're not going to get yeses. You're going to get noes until you close. You've got to be prepared to be told no until you get to yes. And if I'm honest, I should have recognized a couple of signs which told me this would not be a successful outcome. However, However, using cost-benefit analysis, had this worked, I think it would have been a very valuable opportunity to have won for a range of reasons. So I'm confident that my colleague and I did this well with a couple of uh, weaknesses that I've alluded to today and explained to you. I think we were the right people for this work. I still am confident that we are the right people for this work. I think this was worth the risk. But I'm not confident that the prospect was 100% upfront with us. And the lesson is here, there are some things that we can never know, even with the best questions. There are things that I do not know still, but I do know that we answered any questions we were asked and we did so efficiently. We asked some great questions as well. I know our offering was competitively priced and I know that the vendors the gatekeeper mentioned also priced theirs competitively. Uh, I asked a direct question and found out who they were and what they were uh, bidding, which actually surprised me, but that helped me to, to shape my proposal, which is not something you will always get, by the way. The customer is not always right, or even if they are, they're perhaps not right for you or right for me. I would have liked to have won this contract, but In some respects, I'm sorry we didn't, but I have no remorse insofar as I know we gave this our best shot. And there's one more thing which would have been nice, which would have been to have the prospect uh, give me 10 minutes of time or give us 10 minutes of time to debrief us on what we could do better next time. And I did ask for that three times, but they chose not to respond, which is, in my book, unprofessional behavior. But you know what? That's life. That's business. Onwards and upwards. I'm not going to beat myself up. I gave this my best shot. So the most most important word in my business lexicon today has got to be the word next. It's got to be next. There will be a next opportunity. There will be a next proposal going out, in fact, this week. The word has got to be next. No time to ruminate or to worry about this. What's done is done. I've taken my lessons from this exercise and I've shared those with you today. So the most important word today is next. And on that topic, next week, another episode of the podcast. My sincere thanks to you for tuning in again this week. Thank you for your support, your best wishes. Thank you for your notes of concern. I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. 
And thanks for your suggestions with regards to future episodes of the show. Some really great, uh, interesting ideas for future episodes, and I will take those on board as well. I'd love you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts because, as I say each week, this helps us to attract the right guests, people whose presence on the show, whose expertise can help you in your training business journey or on your training business journey. Please check out the podcast as always as you do right now on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher or Spotify, whichever platform happens to be the one for you. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook and Instagram. So check us out and join the conversation. Keep those suggestions coming. Until next week, my best wishes to you and your families. Stay focused, stay optimistic, but above all, stay safe. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.